Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reading the Church Fathers. Today we are going to be continuing in the first epistle of St. Clement. Uh, one listener asked, do we mean Clement of Alexandria, who was known to unfortunately and unintentionally embrace a number of false teachings? And to that we say, no, this is Clement of Rome, an associate of St. Paul and of St. Peter. The Roman Catholics hail him as the second pope. And the Clementine corpus has been of debate, right? There's been a quote-unquote Clementine literature where various supposed epistles and stories of his are recounted. But the one slam-dunk case that we have that St. Clement actually wrote something is in his first epistle to the Corinthians which we continue to read today, starting in chapter 14. We should obey God rather than the authors of sedition. It is right and holy, therefore, men and brethren, rather to obey God than follow those who, through pride and sedition, have become the leaders of a detestable emulation. For we shall incur no slight injury, but rather great danger, if we rashly yield ourselves to the inclinations of men who aim at exciting strife and tumults, so as to draw us away from what is good. Let us be kind to one another, after the pattern of the tender mercy and benignity of our Creator. For it is written, The kind-hearted shall inhabit the land and the guiltless shall be left upon it, but transgressors shall be destroyed from off the face of it. And again the scripture saith, I saw the ungodly highly exalted and lifted up like the cedars of Lebanon. I passed by, and behold, he was not. And I diligently sought his place, and could not find it. Preserve innocence, and look on equity, for there shall be a remnant to the peaceful man. Now our Roman Catholic friends will read this and understand that this is an anti-schismatic message from St. Clement. The idea being, if somebody wants to split the church, they are being wicked. Not in all cases, though. We cannot forget the times in Acts that St. Paul and St. Barnabas wiped the dust off their feet. We cannot forget that there was a schism in the uh, first century church regarding the Judaizers, who went off to form the Ebionites, even though they had some institutional power in the church. Schisming away from them, formally, with the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15, was a good thing. So when St. Clement talks about this tumult, this wicked kind of schism, he's bringing up men who do so with evil intentions rather than there being a, a contention for the word of God, shall we say. Chapter 15 reads, We must adhere to those who cultivate peace, not to those who merely pretend to do so. Let us cleave, therefore, to those who cultivate peace with godliness, and not to those who hypocritically profess to desire it. For the scripture saith in a certain place, 
This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And again they bless with their mouth, but curse with their heart. And again it saith, They loved him with their mouth, and lied to him with their tongue, but their heart was not right with him, neither were they faithful in his covenant. Let the deceitful lips become silent, and let the Lord destroy all the lying lips. In the boastful tongue of those who have said, Let us magnify our tongue, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us. For the oppression of the poor and for the sighing of the needy will I now arise, saith the Lord. I will place him in safety, I will deal confidently with him. Chapter 16 says, Christ as an example of humility. For Christ is of those who are humble-minded, and not of those who exalt themselves over his flock. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the scepter of the majesty of God, did not come in the pomp of pride or arrogance, although he might have done so, but in a lowly condition as the Holy Spirit had declared regarding him. For he says, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We have declared our message in his presence. He is, as it were, a child, and like a root in thirsty ground. He has no form nor glory, yea, we saw him, and he had no form or comeliness. But his form was without eminence, yea, deficient in comparison with the ordinary form of man. He is a man exposed to stripes and suffering, and acquainted with the endurance of grief. For his countenance was turned away. He was despised and not esteemed. He bears our iniquities and is in sorrow for our sakes. Yet we supposed that on his own account he was exposed to labor and stripes and afflictions, but he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every man has wandered in his own way, and the Lord has delivered him up for our sins, while he, in the midst of his sufferings, openeth not his mouth. He was brought as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before her shearer is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? For the transgressions of my people was he brought down to death. And I will give the wicked for his sepulchre, and the rich for his death, because he did no iniquity, and neither was guile found in his mouth. And the Lord is pleased to purify him by stripes. If ye make an offering for sin, your soul shall see a long-lived seed. And the Lord is pleased to relieve him of the affliction of his soul, to show him light and to form him with understanding, to justify the just one who ministereth well to many, and he himself shall carry their sins. On this account he shall inherit many, and shall divide the spoil of the strong, because his soul was delivered to death, and he was reckoned among the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and for their sins was he delivered. And again he saith, I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. 
All that see me have derided me. They have spoken with their lips. They have wagged their head, saying, He hoped in God. Let him deliver him. Let him save him, since he delighteth in him. Ye see, beloved, what is the example which has been given us? For if the Lord thus humbled himself, what shall we do who have through him come under the yoke of his grace? Now, before we move on, an interesting thing, because we're getting a picture of what the church fathers say, what church has traditionally taught, St. Clement here does teach penal substitutionary atonement. Perhaps to the chagrin of our Eastern Orthodox friends, he editorializes his quotations from Isaiah 53, which say, yes, Jesus did die for our sins, and St. Clement brings this up, that it is a punishment, it is for my transgressions and on account of what I deserve that Jesus died. And it is his humility, though he is the, quote, scepter of the throne of God, that he died for us, in spite of that great station. Here also we see a seed of a developed doctrine concerning the divinity of Christ. St. Clement seems to be assuming that his church that he's writing to, the Corinthian church, already understands that Jesus Christ is divine, and the Holy Spirit, being God, speaks of him. Before there was a formal definition of the doctrine of the Trinity, it is here, even in the first epistle of St. Clement. But we move on to chapter 17, the saints as examples of humility. Let us be imitators also of those who in goatskins and sheepskins went about proclaiming the coming of Christ. I mean Elijah, Elisha, and Ezekiel among the prophets with those others to whom a like testimony is born in Scripture. Abraham was specially honored and was called the friend of God. Yet he earnestly, regarding the glory of God, humbly declared, I am but dust and ashes. Moreover, it is thus written of Job, Job was a righteous man and blameless, truthful, God-fearing, and one that kept himself from all evil, but bringing an accusation against himself, he said, No man is free from defilement even if his life be but of one day. Moses was called faithful in all God's house, and through his instrumentality God punished Egypt with plagues and tortures. Yet he, though thus greatly honored, did not adopt lofty language, but said when the divine oracle came to him out of the bush, Who am I that thou sendest me? I am a man of a feeble voice and a slow tongue. And again he said, I am but as the smoke of a pot. Chapter 18. David as an example of humility. But what shall we say concerning David, to whom such testimony was born, and of whom God said, I have found a man after mine own heart, David the son of Jesse, and in everlasting mercy have I anointed him. Yet this very man saith to God, have mercy on me, O Lord, according to thy great mercy, and according to the multitude of thy compassions, blot out my transgression. 
wash me still more from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my iniquity, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned, and done that which was evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified in thy sayings, and mayest overcome when thou art judged. For behold, I was conceived in transgressions, and in my sins did my mother conceive me, for behold, thou hast loved truth. The secret and hidden things of wisdom hast thou shown me. Thou shalt sprinkle me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Thou shalt make me to hear joy and gladness. My bones, which have been humbled, shall exult. Turn away thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and establish me by thy governing spirit. I will teach transgressors thy ways, and the ungodly shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall exult in thy righteousness. O Lord, thou shalt open my mouth, and my lips shall show forth thy praise. For if thou hadst desired sacrifice, I would have given it. Thou wilt not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice, acceptable to God, is a bruised spirit. A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. Chapter 19 Imitating these examples, let us seek after peace. Thus the humility and godly submission of so great and illustrious men have rendered not only us, but also all the generations before us better, even as many as have received his oracles in fear and truth. Wherefore, having so many great and glorious examples set before us, let us turn again to the practice of that peace which from the beginning was the mark set before us, and let us look steadfastly to the Father and Creator of the universe and cleave to his mighty and surpassingly great gifts and benefactions of peace. Let us contemplate him with our understanding and look with the eyes of our soul to his long-suffering will. Let us reflect how free from wrath he is toward all his creation. Note here that St. Clement brings in many, many, many passages from the Old Testament and some of the New Testament as well. St. Clement is doing systematic theology. Some anti-intellectual or anti-clerical thinkers have said that systematic theology does not belong in the church because it was not practiced in the early church. And from St. Clement's writing, this is patently false. He brings in passage after passage of scripture to demonstrate humility on the parts of the saints, and thus he puts it as a a vast cloud of examples, if you will, to demonstrate a moral truth from the scriptures. This does fit into theology. Ethics is a part of theology proper. So, we see here, they've been doing it, well, ever since the New Testament was being written truly. The Book of Romans is a work of dogmatics. 
but that tradition continues with St. Clement. Chapter 20 is entitled The Peace and Harmony of the Universe. The heavens, revolving under his government, are subject to him in peace. Day and night run the course appointed by him, in no wise hindering each other. The sun and moon, with the companies of the stars, roll on in harmony according to his command, within their prescribed limits, and without any deviation. The fruitful earth, according to his will, brings forth food in abundance at the proper seasons, for man and beast and all the living beings upon it never hesitating nor changing any of the ordinances which he has fixed. The unsearchable places of abysses and the indescribable arrangements of the lower world are restrained by the same laws. The vast immeasurable sea, gathered together by his working into various basins, never passes beyond the bounds placed around it, but does as he has commanded. For he said, Thus far shalt thou come, and thy waves shall be broken within thee. The ocean, impassable to man, and the worlds beyond it, are regulated by the same enactments of the Lord. The seasons of spring, summer, autumn, and winter peacefully give place to one another. The winds in their several quarters fulfill at the proper time their service without hindrance. The ever-flowing fountains formed both for enjoyment and health furnish without fail their breasts for the life of men. The very smallest of living beings meet together in peace and concord. All these the great Creator and Lord of all has appointed to exist in peace and harmony. While he does good to all, but most abundantly to us who have fled for refuge to his compassions through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory and majesty for ever and ever. Amen. Chapter 21. Let us obey God, and not the authors of sedition. Take heed, beloved, lest his many kindnesses lead to the condemnation of us all. For thus it must be, unless we walk worthy of him, and with one mind do those things which are good and well-pleasing in his sight. For the scripture saith in a certain place, The Spirit of the Lord is a candle searching the secret parts of the belly. Let us reflect how near he is, and that none of the thoughts or reasonings in which we engage are hid from him. It is right, therefore, that we should not leave the post which his will has assigned us. Let us rather offend those men who are foolish and inconsiderate, and lift it up, and who glory in the pride of their speech, than offend God. Let us reverence the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood was given for us. Let us esteem those who have the rule over us. Let us honor the aged. Among us, let us train up the young men in the fear of God. Let us direct our wives to that which is good. Let them exhibit the lovely habit of purity in all their conduct. Let them show forth the sincere disposition of meekness. Let them make manifest the command which they have of their tongue by their manner of speaking. Let them display their love not by preferring one to another, but by showing equal affection to all that piously fear God. Let their, your children be partakers of true Christian training, 
Let them learn of how great avail humility is with God, how much the spirit of pure affection can prevail with him, how excellent and great his fear is, and how it saves all those who walk in it with a pure mind. For he is a searcher of the thoughts and desires of the heart. His breath is in us, and when he pleases, he will take it away. Chapter 22 These exhortations are confirmed by the Christian faith, which proclaims the misery of sinful conduct. Now the faith which is in Christ confirms all these admonitions. For he himself by the Holy Ghost thus addresses us, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will, show, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life, and loveth to see good days? Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, and do good. Seek peace, and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off their remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cried, and the Lord heard him, and delivered him out of all his troubles. Many are the stripes appointed for the wicked, but mercy shall compass those about who hope in the Lord. Chapter 23 Be humble and believe that Christ will come again. The all-merciful and beneficent Father has bowels of compassion towards those that fear him and kindly and lovingly bestows his favors upon those who come to him with a simple mind. Wherefore, let us not be double-minded. Neither let our soul be lifted up on account of his exceedingly great and glorious gifts. Far from us be that which is written, Wretched are they who are of a double mind and of a doubting heart, who say, These things we have heard even in the times of our fathers, but behold, we have grown old, and none of them has happened to us. Ye foolish ones, compare yourselves to a tree. Take, for instance, the vine. First of all, it sheds its leaves, then it buds, next to it puts forth leaves, and then it flowers. And after that comes the sour grape, and then follows the ripened fruit. Ye perceive how in a little time the fruit of a tree comes to maturity. Of a truth, soon and suddenly, shall his will be accomplished, as the scripture also bears witness, saying, Speedily will he come, and will not tarry. And the Lord shall suddenly come to his temple, even the Holy One, for whom ye look. Now, we do have to comment on something. Thus far, as we have been reading St. Clement's epistle, there is nothing here that is offensive or contrary to any Christian, really. There is no doctrine that is universally recognized as Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or Anglican, for that matter. Uh, there is nothing touching on what our friends in the Oriental Orthodox Church might teach. It is a straightforward exposition of Holy Scripture, to the point where we might say it almost sounds like a long-form Protestant sermon. Very long, of course, because this would run well over two hours if preached from a pulpit. But also, St. Clement here is telling people to go against and oppose 
those who are trying to destroy the church with their bad attitudes, their false teachings, including apparently a denial of the return of Christ, their pride, etc., saying that it is good and just for the church to reject such groups from her midst. Meaning that in the 1st and 2nd century AD, it was not schism itself that was bad, again, it was schism based on bad ethics if that was good it was if you can say this is bad these people what they are doing is bad i want nothing to do with them i do not hear my shepherd's voice in what they are preaching i shall depart from them saint clement would not argue with that he instructs the corinthian church to split off and avoid these false teachers in their groups Unfortunately, for many apologists of many denominations, including some Lutherans, though, this does mean that we lose the apologia of the church having at some point been this united, big, happy family. If as early as St. Clement's first epistle we see these arguments and fights, and even St. Clement saying, have nothing to do with these people, shout at them if they show up in your church, then we have always had divisions. We have always had to go through this. The church has never been some Pollyanna picture of a united body, no matter how much we would like to think otherwise. Chapter 24 states, God continually shows us in nature that there will be a resurrection. Let us consider, beloved, how the Lord continually proves to us that there shall be a future resurrection, of which he has rendered the Lord Jesus Christ the firstfruits by raising him from the dead. Let us contemplate, beloved, the resurrection which is at all times taking place. Day and night declare to us a resurrection. The night sinks to sleep, and the day arises. The day again departs, and the night comes on. Let us behold the fruits of the earth, how the sowing of grain takes place. The sower goes forth and casts it into the ground, and the seed being thus scattered, though dry and naked when it fell upon the earth, is gradually dissolved. Then out of its dissolution the mighty power of the providence of the Lord raises it up again, and from one seed many arise and bring forth fruit. St. Clement here is showing something of what you might call natural theology, theology gained through nature. He has clearly subordinated that to Holy Scripture as he quotes Scripture over and over again, even when he starts talking about natural theology and observing the universe. But it is present such that he would not say it is illegitimate to look at nature and go, yep, just as King David says, the heavens indeed declare the glory of God. Chapter 25, the phoenix as an emblem of our resurrection. Let us consider that wonderful sign of the resurrection which takes place in eastern lands, that is, in Arabia and the countries round about. There is a certain bird which is called a phoenix. This is the only one of its kind and lives 500 years and that when the time of its dissolution draws near that it must die, it builds itself a nest of frankincense and myrrh, 
and other spices into which when the time is fulfilled it enters and dies but as the flesh decays a certain kind of worm is produced which being nourished by the juices of the dead bird bring forth feathers then when it has acquired strength it takes up that nest in which are the bones of its parent and bearing these it passes from the land of arabia into egypt to the city called heliopolis sorry heliopolis and on in open day flying in the sight of all men it places them on the altar of the sun having done this hastens back to its former abode the priests then inspect the registers of the dates and find that it has returned exactly as the five hundredth year was completed now pliny and herodotus are the ones that teach us about the phoenix and the legends concerning it saint clement presents this as brute fact that this is a further example of nature teaching us about the gospel and about resurrection does that mean that we christians are bound to believe that phoenixes exist or existed and maybe are somehow extinct today not necessarily although personally if you ask me i like to keep an open mind about these things but what saint clement does want to get at is that such a creature as the phoenix is an excellent symbol for our faith which again manifests the message of resurrection to us chapter 26 we shall rise again then as the scripture also testifies do we then deem it any great and wonderful thing for the maker of all things to raise up again those that have piously served him in the assurance of a good faith when even by a bird he shows us the mightiness of his power to fulfill his promise for the scripture saith in a certain place thou shalt raise me up and i shall confess unto thee and again i laid me down and slept i awaked because thou art with me and again job says thou shalt raise up this flesh of mine which has suffered all these things chapter twenty seven in the hope of the resurrection let us cleave to the omnipotent and omniscient god having then this hope let our souls be bound to him who is faithful in his promises and just in his judgments he who has commanded us not to lie shall much more himself not lie for nothing is impossible with god except to lie let his faith therefore be stirred up again within us and let us consider that all things are nigh unto him by the word of his might he established all things and by his word he can overthrow them who shall say unto him what hast thou done or who shall resist the power of his strength when and as he pleases he will do all things and none of the things determined by him shall pass away all things are open before him and nothing can be hidden from his counsel the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament showeth his handiwork day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge and there are no words or speeches of which the voices are not heard we might notice that again saint clement appeals first and foremost over and over and over again to holy scripture he will in no wise ever abandon this 
One might note he does not apply, appeal to holy tradition or apostolic authority. He does not appeal to apostolic succession either. But to be fair to our Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox friends, this is right after the apostles have died. St. Clement here writes after the canon was complete and the apostles have passed away. He is in good company with people that already know him as an associate of St. Paul and St. Peter. There is no reason for us to expect that even if he did believe in a magisterial ecclesiology, that this should show up in the epistle. We should be fair to our Catholic friends here. Chapter 28. God sees all things. Therefore, let us avoid transgression. Since then, all things are seen and heard by God, let us fear him and forsake those wicked works which proceed from evil desires, so that through his mercy we may be protected from the judgments to come. For whither can any of us flee from his mighty hand? Or what world will receive any of those who run away from him? For the scripture saith in a certain place, Whither shall I go, and where shall I be hid from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I go away even to the uttermost parts of the earth, there is thy right hand. If I make my bed in the abyss, there is thy spirit. Whither then shall any one go, or where shall he escape from him who comprehends all things? Chapter 29 Let us also draw near to God in purity of heart. Let us then draw near to him with holiness of spirit, lifting up pure and undefiled hands unto him, loving our gracious and merciful Father who has made us partakers in the blessings of his elect. For thus it is written, When the Most High divided the nations, when he scattered the sons of Adam, he fixed the bounds of the nations according to the number of the angels of God. His people Jacob became the portion of the Lord, and Israel the lot of his inheritance. In another place the scripture saith, Behold, the Lord taketh unto himself a nation out of the midst of the nations, as a man takes the first fruits of his threshing floor. And from that nation shall come forth the most holy. More uh, quote-unquote replacement theology or supersessionism from St. Clement. Chapter 30 Let us do those things that please God and flee from those he hates that we may be blessed. Seeing, therefore, that we are the portion of the Holy One, let us do all those things which pertain to holiness, avoiding all evil speaking, all abominable and impure embraces, together with all drunkenness, seeking after change, all abominable lusts, detestable adultery, and execrable pride. For God saith, the scripture resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Let us cleave, then, to those to whom grace has been given by God. Let us clothe ourselves with concord and humility, ever exercising self-control, standing far off from all whispering and evil speaking, being justified by our works and not our words. For the scripture saith, He that speaketh much shall also hear and answer, and hear much in answer. And does he that is ready in speech deem himself righteous? Blessed is he that is born of woman who liveth but a short time. 
be not given to much speaking. Let our praise be in God, and not of ourselves. For God hateth those that commend themselves. Let our testimony to our good deeds be borne by others, as it was in the case of our righteous forefathers. Boldness and arrogance and audacity belong to those that are accursed of God, but moderation, humility, and meekness to such as are blessed by him. Now for our friends that deny sola fide, consider the context when he speaks of being justified by our works regarding our conduct with one another. He immediately goes into our words being, well, not arrogant and being backed up by good deeds and a good character. Let's see where he goes with that. Chapter 31, let us see by what means we may obtain the divine blessing. Let us cleave then to his blessing and consider what are the means of possessing it. Let us think over the things which have taken place from the beginning. For what reason was our father Abraham blessed? Was it not because he wrought righteousness and truth through faith? Isaac, with perfect confidence, as if knowing what was to happen, cheerfully yielded himself as a sacrifice. Jacob, through reason of his brother, went forth with humility from his own land, and came to Laban and served him. And there was given to him the scepter of the twelve tribes of Israel. Chapter 32. We are justified, not by our own works, but by faith. Whoever will candidly consider each particular will recognize the greatness of the gifts which were given by him. For from him have sprung the priests and all the Levites who minister at the altar of God. From him also was descended our Lord Jesus Christ according to the flesh. From him arose kings, princes, and rulers of the race of Judah, speaking again of Jacob, nor are his other tribes in small glory, inasmuch as God has promised, Thy seed shall be as the stars of heaven. All these, therefore, were highly honored and made great, not for their own sake, or for their own works, or for the righteousness which they wrought, but through the operation of his will. And we, too, being called by his will in Christ Jesus, are not justified by ourselves, nor by our own wisdom, or understanding, or godliness, or works which we have wrought in holiness of heart, but by that faith which through which, from the beginning, Almighty God has justified all men, to whom it be glory for ever and ever. St. Clement here has just posited faith alone, justification by faith alone. He even says for those that are believing, lest we say this is him advocating for faith plus works, he says, or understanding or godliness or works that we have wrought in holiness of heart. So even if we have faith plus works, it is only the faith which justifies. And again, Almighty God from the beginning has justified us through that faith. Chapter 33, though, lest we start becoming antinomians, but let us not give up the practice of good works and love. God himself is an example to us of good works. What shall we do then, brethren? Shall we become slothful and well-doing and cease from the practice of love? God forbid that any such course should be followed by us. 
but rather let us hasten with all energy and readiness of mind to perform every good work. For the Creator and Lord of all himself rejoices in his works. For by his infinitely great power he established the heavens, and by his incomprehensible wisdom he adorned them. He also divided the earth from the water which surrounds it and fixed it upon the immovable foundation of his own will. The animals also which are upon it he commanded by his own word into existence. So likewise, when he had formed the sea and the living creatures which are in it, he enclosed them within their proper bounds by his own power. Above all, with his holy and undefiled hands, he formed man the most excellent of his creatures, and truly great through the understanding given him, the express likeness of his own image. For thus says God, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God made man. Male and female he created them. Having thus finished all these things, he approved them and blessed them and said, Increase and multiply. We see then how all righteous men have been adorned with good works, and how the Lord himself, adorning himself with his works, rejoiced. Having therefore such an example, let us without delay accede to his will, and let us work the work of righteousness with our whole strength. Something interesting here is St. Clement attributes good works to those who are righteousness. He does not attribute righteousness to those who do good works, since the matter is a division of faith and not faith, whether somebody's quote-unquote good works are worth doing in the first place. This sounds very, very Protestant. And in some cases, some of the things he says regarding natural theology sound a little bit more on the Thomistic side of things, knowing that natural theology wasn't really a thing at least not fully embraced until the time of Thomas Aquinas. So to be fair to everybody, we do have Pope St. Clement I of Rome advocating for sola fide, but also advocating against antinomianism and laziness in the faith, saying, you are called to imitate God. And what does God do? God does good things. He rejoices in them. And he likes to, quote, adorn himself, that is, his reputation and his persons, with good works. Therefore, you, having had the image of God restored within you, do the same. This is a wonderful explication of how Christians believed in the first century AD and what they did. But naturally, over time, we're going to see changes. Next week, as we hopefully finish up First Clement, we can start tracing maybe a few of the footprints of those changes as they began to show up in the church. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen. Amen.